Maybe that's an overstatement, but we all loved the songs, didn't we? And in an age where there is much strife, tension, war, Alan McRae, wouldn't it be great to develop a gun that only shot love? Imagine you're on the battlefield, you know, with your love gun, you shoot it, and you give your foe a big hug. Yeah, wouldn't that be wonderful? Define love that comes out with that gun, like a happy bullet. Yeah, exactly. Happy. <laughs> that gives you a cuddle. A happy bullet, yeah, indeed. Anyway, um, that was quite the song back in the day, wasn't it, Linda Helen? You recall that? Oh, I don't know. That came down no. my phone line quite badly. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. 25 to 5, the panel on RNZ National. The big banks have been outshone by the minnows. According to the annual Consumer NZ Banking Customer Satisfaction Survey, the Cooperative Bank and TSB are the top two performing banks earning the People's Choice Awards. So we thought we'd uh, discuss this a little with us, Consumer NZ Investigative Team Leader Rebecca Stiles. Kia ora, Rebecca. Kia ora. How does this compare to the other bank surveys? Um, well, we do the same survey every year, um, and the smaller banks um, consistently come out on the top for better customer service and uh, happier customers about fees, whereas the big banks tend to um, be down the bottom. What do you think this survey shows? Um, I think it shows a bigger a gulf between um, how well the smaller banks are doing, um, the cooperative bank and TSB are doing, compared with the bigger banks like Westpac, ASB, ANZ. There's a bit of a gulf between overall satisfaction between um, them and the smaller banks. Yeah, and quite the gulf it is. Uh, cooperative bank and TSB, I mean, they, they are tiny compared to the big mm. four Aussie-owned banks. I mean, why can't they measure up? Well, and that, this is a big question. Huh. I think it's a question that a lot of people are asking um, across the board, really. I mean, they have the profits, they have the market share. I'm just wondering what's the reason. Yeah, well, um, I think they would perhaps be uh, disappointed with the results, mm. but it seems to be quite a pattern that is emerging. Um, yeah, the smaller banks do much better on branch service fees, um, phone banking, like actually going, being able to go into a branch and talk to someone, and the customers are saying that that's not happening at the bigger banks. All right. What about your bank, Alan McRaw? Do you have any, um, A, interaction, B, I don't satisfaction have any. from them? I don't have any interaction uh, anymore. One, I'm, uh, two banks, one uh, is Kiwi Bank, and you can never seem to talk to anyone because you have to go through a post office or something. Uh, and the ANZ or a- ASB, I have my mortgage with them, and uh, so I don't really know. I don't really have any, you know, I don't talk. I just get emails telling me how much I owe them. That's pretty much it. But I do understand the whole idea of a, a kind of small business attitude where they would be more familiar with you. So I, I do get why the smaller banks would have a better satisfaction. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. What about, stay there, Rebecca, uh, Linda? Mm-hmm. 
Well, I mean, I, I think I bank with ASB Westpac and Kiwi Bank. Um, got a foot in each camp. <laughs> mm. But uh, I've got to say, I don't, I don't often have any interactions at all with the bank. But generally when you do, they're never pleasant, are they? And I just sometimes no. wonder whether the reason that people don't like the big banks is because they're very, they're very much like Air New Zealanders become, you know, where it's really difficult to get a human being on the end of the phone when you need it. And I think that's probably a reaction, isn't it, that we have, that we don't like that. And so we don't like big banks because of it. Yeah, what do you think yeah. of that, Rebecca? Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I usually do my you know banking online. It's not often I have to talk to someone, but when I do, it's a bit of a drag. I'm on the phone for yeah. ages. I just want to talk to somebody, um, and it just takes too long, really. Um, and I think um, and people don't tend to switch banks either, or they have a perception that it's um, hard to do, whereas um, 75% of people that we surveyed who had switched said it was actually quite easy. So I think there's um, a big... Uh, a change of perception about switching, and that maybe that would make the bigger banks take a little bit more care with their customer service. That's uh, very interesting because uh, I have never ever switched banks. Uh, I'm th- I think I'm still with the same bank that I was when what 35 years ago mm. uh, when I started being a student. Here's one: we switched from uh, TSB to TSB from Kiwi Bank in 2020, and have never looked back. Uh, Kiwi. Kiwi Bank's customer service, this, this person's point of view, is dire. And we love that um, TSB is a charitable organisation, so all their profits go back to the community, all the same services available. Is that, is that the case? Is, this, is that the case with TSB, do you know? Um, well, that's not something that we ask, but I do no. think people are increasingly looking at, you know, the, the ethics of a company and what they believe in and where they choose to put their money. I certainly think our customers are more aware of that these days. Do you have any advice for, I just see what we've got, ANZ and ASB ranked 10th and 11th respectively in a field of 13. I see that, uh, I think it was Westpac that um, bought up the rear. Do you have any advice Mm -hmm. for some of the bigger players? I just fundamentally looking at their customer service, seeing where they can improve, whether they're actually there um, helping their customers, and also look at their levels of fees as well. Those are the two sort of major pain points for uh, customers with those banks. Very yeah. good. Yeah, Alan? No, you just remind, I used to be with ANZ and I changed to Kiwi Bank over something very petty. I think it was a charge of $12 <laughs> for something, you know what I mean? And I just went, nah, I'm leaving. That was enough to make me change. So, yeah, I have changed before. Oh, okay. Um, TSB says one takes incredible care of me, an old lady pathetically, technically, uh, pathetic technically, and I message stupidly often, and they are always really kind and courageous. I switched from ASB. So you, what you're getting here, Rebecca, is a real pattern of uh, actually, uh, even in 2023, customer service is really important to people. Totally, and we see that in other surveys as well, um, like with power retailers, insurance. You know, it's, it's down to that human touch, really, and being available to talk when the customer wants to talk to you. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Uh, that's Rebecca Stiles there from uh, Consumer NZ's investigative team. What about you, Linda? Is, is customer service something that you have store in? Is it something that's important to you? Because it's not as important to other people. Do you know, I actually had some really good customer service um, this week from randomly Wallace Cotton. They're a store that sells like 
nice yeah. linen for your bed. And it was such good customer service that I literally rang them back afterwards and said, you know, well, you made my day because it really? just never happens now. People are always rude to you. No one goes the extra mile to yep. help their customers, it seems. And, you, you know, when it's something small that you need fixed, if someone can do that for you, you really, I mean, here I am on the radio giving them a plug. <laughs> do you know what? That, that would have made the staff meeting. The fact that you phoned them, not the fact that you're Linda Helen Ann, who's written a book about uh, plums. Uh, the fa- plums. The, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm the, sure that's the, yeah, they're all having a celebratory meeting now. They're like, yeah, we made uh, her happy because she's no, difficult. No, but, but, <laughs> <laughs> not suggesting that. But you know what I mean, Ellen? Uh, the fact that it would have made the meeting because it doesn't often happen. You don't often get a customer ringing a company up and going, did, it, did a good job. Oh, you'd give good feedback. It's like most feedback you give is negative, but uh, if something good happens, you would bring her up and say, listen, that was really good. I'm mm-hmm. dealing with someone, a uh, company, what's, can I say the name? Uh, Trade Depot. I bought a fridge. It, it roars at me like a like a, like a uh, engine. Uh, they said they'd replace it, and then I've been ignored for two weeks, so I'm going out tomorrow to try and find out who I was speaking to on email. But there's no way of... You can't talk to anyone, and you get lost on the website, and you just sit there getting angrier and angrier. So if you speak to somebody, and they can calm you down from the, from the very start, then of course you're going to want to stay with that company and okay, shop at then, that company. Okay, then, all right. Uh, tomorrow, what, what we're going to do tomorrow is we're going to do something called, just, just a one-off, Customer Care Thursday. <laughs> yeah. And I want you to email me a really good example of customer care because we, all, we, we, we like to whinge. Mm. We, we're, we're, whinge we're whingers, aren't we? We're complainers. So email me, what's a really good example? Like Linda with her Wallace Cotton, Nice thread count, by the way. Is it called Wallace Cotton? That's yeah, a great yeah. coincidence. The panel at rnz.co.nz. What's a really good example of customer care that you've experienced? I can't remember now. Yeah. But I'm sure there is. Now I need to go back to my... I'll text you tomorrow. Absolutely. Uh, you're on the panel on RNZ National. Nikki says, don't get me started on banks, Wallace. We've just had the worst experience with ANZ. We'll be changing banks at the first opportunity. Uh, now, to this. Chickens. Many people love their backyard chicken, and in Kawaro, this means paying an extra $25 a year poultry licence. There was an uproar when Kawaro District Council reminded people of their chicken rules with a Facebook post with hundreds, hundreds of people coming in with the comments uh, from around the Muzu, by the way. The council introduced the licensing requirement in its bylaw in 2019 after public consultation due to complaints about the noise and smell of poultry from neighbours. So to talk more about keeping backyard chickens, we thought we'd talk to Andrea Graves, a PhD in animal behaviour specifically focusing on chickens. So we found the right person. Kia ora, Andrea. Hi. What do you make of this poultry licence and fee? Well, I think it's something that it does sound quite easy to criticise it, but if they introduced it in 2019 after public consultation, you know, maybe they have good reasons. I'm sure they did. Um, so I don't want to don't pass judgment too quickly on that one. Yeah. Um, having chickens comes with its own challenges, comes with its own costs. Can you go over a few of those for us, Andrea? Well, I mean, the ones I'll mention first is the noise and the smell, because I have to say that I, I don't. I think if they're kept well, that's not really an issue. They do make a few noises, although my neighbours tell me that they really like 
um, the noises that come from our place. Um, so they're gentle noises. Obviously, there's no roosters. Um, so that can be an issue if people are keeping roosters in town. And the smell um, definitely shouldn't be an issue if they're being kept properly. Um, the costs, are, the biggest cost is the feed, which has gone up a little bit recently. Um, challenges when they escape and um, destroy your veggie garden, but that's just a matter of having good fencing in place. Um, and it's yeah, it's keeping keeping the run nice, so it's just not a kind of a bare muddy yeah. bit of dirt. Is is, is the biggest. And for those who do want to um, have chickens, what other perks? Well, obviously, um, collecting your own fresh eggs every day is fantastic. Yeah. Um, the thrill never wears off for me of that. Um, they are fantastic at eating um, any scraps, uh, lots of weeds, snails, worms, and they're just really fun. Like I just, and not just me. So many people find them incredibly endearing and interesting, yeah. and they've got their own personalities. Yeah, great fun. Wonderful, Andrea. Linda, you have chickens, <laughs> don't you? I'm, I sure do. <laughs> I'm thinking like a lot of the time I hate my chickens because they can, they cost a lot more than I get back in eggs, and also when they get out, they just destroy your garden. So, but do I, they? I can understand. Oh, hundred, they're terrible. Like you can feed them whatever you want. You can give them a gourmet diet of like you know forty dollar bags of fancy mash from the rural supply store, but they will still decide that the one thing they want to eat is the one thing that you've been trying to grow um, successfully or unsuccessfully. They'll just target it, and then they poo everywhere. So. They've, here they have 65 acres to free range on and they poo on our deck. So that's very kind of them. Um, <laughs> I can understand why you need some sort of license to look after them because a lot of people who um, become poultry hoarders, you know, if you've got a neighbour who's got a terrible, smelly, non-cared-for chicken run in a uh. suburban area, yeah, that would not be ideal. But And I think that the $25 fee is probably more about animal welfare than it is about charging people to keep chickens. Okay, so you're kind of – you support it. Well, I can see why you yeah. would need to have it if you've got because, for example, if you don't have a license, then what happens if your neighbour does decide to start breeding roosters? Then what comeback do you have? You know, you sure. need to have some sort of bylaw, I guess, in place. I stay there, Andrea. And also, let's bring... eggs are expensive. Uh, well, of course, um, Ellen McRoy, stay there, Andrea. Yeah, I was going to ask, <clears throat> how much is the chicken field? How what, what is the cost, Andrea? Um, well, uh, it's around the 30 to $40 mark, depending on how fancy you go. So ours is 34 I think. How long would that um, last? I've got three hens, and I'm thinking, oh, I can't actually remember, six to eight weeks, I think. Well, that's not too bad, though, is it? It's not too bad because, well, the, the, the breed that I have are kind of um, commercial layers. They're really prolific, so we get a lot of eggs for that. Um I'm wondering if perhaps Linda has the very, very beautiful heritage breeds um, <laughs> that aren't quite as prolific, but look much more beautiful. Um, I've got a few yeah, of those. Also when they get older, they they quit, they they go slow on the lane. But I'm um, I'm a little bit keen on keeping on keeping young birds. Um, which is still in their prime. Right. Now, uh, in terms of uh, we were looking on Trade Me, uh, my producer, Ayana and I, and looking at the roosters, um, what do you do with roosters? Because there are quite a few on Trade Me at the moment. You eat them, Wallace. <laughs> is that is that what you do? Do you eat a rooster? <laughs> Absolutely. If they're young, delicious, you make cockavin. Put them in a pot with some onions and little, some juicy beef and rooster. chips. A little baby rooster. You don't want to let them go too long, though. They get a bit tough. 
So you eat them while they're young and they're delicious. You're kind of upsetting one Full of, of my panel. You're kind of upsetting your fellow panellists, Linda. I just know you could eat. I'd eat a rooster. Don't get me wrong. I'd have to cook it slowly if it's that tough. But I'd, I'd have it. I just didn't know that was an option. Andrea, absolutely. Right. Get no, a rooster no, for dinner. <laughs> they are good. It's so different to the the chicken meat you buy in the supermarket, oh. um, which we're eating almost as babies, you know, because they're killed when they're about six weeks old, and they have this immense growth rate. So yeah, I, I understand if you get them before they're about six months, they're good eating, and that's about when they'll start crowing, and you don't want them. Anymore. Oh yeah, eat them before um, that. Yeah, there is a problem with excess roosters because you know for every. Um, Six eggs that hatch, um, you've got three boys and three girls roughly, and so and people want to keep the females because they lay eggs, and these are always people need to get rid of roosters. Well, that took a turn, didn't it? I didn't expect us to go into the e- <laughs> a rooster-eating territory, Andrea, so my apologies for that. Um, but nonetheless, really interesting stuff. I appreciate your time on the panel. Um, that's Andrea, Andrea Graves there, PhD in animal behaviour, specifically focusing on chickens, less about uh, eating roosters when they're young. But is, that, is that what Cockavan is all about, Linda? Sure is. It's like I think a tw- up to a 12-month-old cockerel, and you, yeah, they're delicious. I mean, they don't look like a chicken that you would imagine. You know, once you've plucked them, there ain't a lot of them left. And that's the mm. problem is that when you eat a home-raised chicken, you realise pretty quickly that the things you buy as chicken – um, in supermarkets are not and really not even the same species you know they're twice as fat they're half this age they're force fed basically in their little sheds and so in a way like if you think it's bad to eat your home raised rooster you probably want to be thinking about what you're buying from the supermarket oh gosh okay yeah interesting stuff all right uh, the panel are international some interesting responses regarding great customer care it's customer sorry customer service thursday tomorrow That's where you regard us with your experience of just that one time you had really great customer service that uh, uh, email me the panel at rnz.co.nz but we must mention this, speaking of food, away from roosters and kookavar, the coronation celebrations means the creation of a signature dish. Is it crab mornay? No, it's not. Is it turbot on the bone? No, it's not. The Queen, she chose chicken and a white curry with apricots. Charles and Camilla, they chose quiche because it can be served hot or cold. Smallish. <laughs> Smallish. I'm sorry for laughing. Small. <laughs> Small, I thought it was a joke at first. <laughs> small issue. There is a major egg shortage in the UK right now. With us to set things straight is none, no other than food personality who's written 17 cookbooks, Julie Buso. Julie, great to have you on the panel. Hi there, Wallace, and hi to Linda and Alan. What oh, yeah. an what an honour to have uh, you on, Julie. Uh, and I thought, well, who to who, who to get to talk about quiche? Not that your books focus on the quiche, but help us explain this underwhelming dish. Oh well, I think you're all wrong. I think it's a great dish because what they're trying to do with it is to give everyone at home, average cook, something that they can make for their kind of like almost. Like your street party, if you imagine that. I think there's, this is going to be happening all through the UK. So um, you've just said it's a good dish that can be served hot or cold. So that's a pretty good thing. Um, it's easy to um, make it go a little further by 
you know, cutting into slightly smaller uh, portions. Uh, yeah, I think it's got a lot going for it. And I think poor old Charles, you know, whatever he was going to come up with, it wasn't going to match coronation chicken, which was a bit of a, you know, wow kind of dish back in the day. Well, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Julie, Julie. Right. It, it's the biggest day in your life, one of the big days on planet Earth. You're about to be made king. <laughs> you want to have a good meal to celebrate. Guess what you do? You choose quiche. <laughs> it's in the fridge. It's cold. <laughs> it's mud. It's got broad beans in it, for goodness sakes. I mean, come on. Who's ever had an experimental dish with broad beans as their celebratory once-in-a-lifetime meal? I love, I love beans for protein. Okay. Jolly first. Yeah. You go, Alan. I, I mean... Oh, no. I was just going to say, I love beans <clears throat> for protein, but that's only for me. I wouldn't share that with other people. You're made king, Alan McElroy. You're oh, ma- thanks you're, very much. You're, you're king for a day. What do you serve? Cock of van. Of course. We're going... <laughs> <laughs> I can't get it out of my head. I'm starving. Absolutely. Quiche seems like it's something that your you, unexpected guest turns up. You go, oh, what have you got? Oh, there's some sort of quiche. And then eggs are so expensive. You might as well throw in saffron and caviar into the recipe as well. It's not for everybody. There is, there is the egg shortage. It's true. But if you look at the ingredients I've put in this quiche and you're laughing about the broad beans, what a fantastic idea because they've been blanched. They've taken them out of their heavy little, you know, tough overcoats. They're going to give the, the quiche some texture. And then they've got tarragon. And tarragon and eggs and cream is an absolutely sensational combination. It is a beautiful flavour. So it's not your ordinary quiche. This has got a few extra little tricks in there, which will make it taste really fantastic. So I, I'm saying go for it. I think, yeah. Linda? Can I just say, though, that they've clearly forgotten about us poor plebs down here in the colonies because you can't get a fresh broad bean at this time of the year for love or money, let alone tarragon. No, I mean, my tarragon's frozen, already frozen, died down. Frozen broad beans are absolutely fine. And also uh, tarragon is one of, those, one of those herbs that does dry and retain its, its uh, a lo- anyway, about 80% of oh, it. Wow. It's not like basil or chive, which you can't throw successfully. So, um, yeah, we, we can make it. But, I mean, we don't have to make it. We can get together with our friends and, and you know, get the cockerel on stewing. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> we can you, you and your cocker van, yeah. Ellen, honestly. Starving, absolutely starving. <laughs> I, I know... Um, we're talking to Julie Buso, honoured uh, Julie, because uh, we have uh, I have uh, three or four of your cookbooks at home, but I can't. I didn't do my prep and actually go through whether or not you had a we you had a quiche in your books. Have you um, uh, done quiche in your books? Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, in fact, I love you know a traditional quiche with right. with bacon and heavy cream and eggs and that kind of thing, and and lots of onions, and I love them with leeks and artichoke and ham and. Even in Ooh. summer, sweet corn taken corn off the cob. Okay, now you're talking. Um, with red peppers. Yeah, that sounds know, better, yeah. yeah. That sounds better. I'd have that. That sounds amazing. <laughs> well, you know, so, so it's, it's got, you know, a little bit of leeway there about what you put in. But I guess a couple of uh, tips might be handy. Yeah. And, and one is, you know, we talk about the pastry underneath, uh, you know, the bottom getting soggy, not getting cooked through. So a couple of things to do um, that can improve that. One is you cook your quiche... Um, in the bottom third of the oven, so you've got bottom heat coming up. Got it. And that will help your pastry cook through. Put a baking sheet in um, and get that hot. 
You put the quiche on top of that, it gets an immediate little burst of heat on the bottom of the pastry. That also helps. And you can bake the pastry blind, and that's, you know, simply line it with baking paper, fill it with rice or beans, and bake for 15 or 20 minutes until the pastry is set, and that will improve uh, your pastry overall. So good pastry, um, I think this royal thing Bobby's got lard in the the pastry, which no one in New Zealand, I don't think, is going to use that. Julie? Uh, It does make superb pastry. You're a legend. You've almost convinced us. Julie Buser, (laughs) food personality, and what a wonderful panel. Uh, Alan McRoy, go away and make your cock of van. I will indeed. Linda Hallinan, great to have you on. I'm Wallace Chapman. You need cocktails, don't you think? Coronation cocktails, that's what you need. I'll see you tomorrow, 3.45, Checkpoint, with Lisa Owen, next.